Welcome to App Talk with Uptick. Each week, we dive into the nitty gritty of how to grow mobile apps and games. We speak with industry experts about specific strategies, tools, and tactics they use to find success, and we keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing mobile app ecosystem. My name is Xander Agosta, growth, growth lead here at Uptick, and joining me today are my co-host, Warren Woodward, co-founder at Uptick. And our guest, Arun Gupta, CEO of Attribution App. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Arun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we got something to plug up at the top. Uh, Warren, you want to start with that? Yeah, for sure. Just wanted to give a heads up. Um, we're going to be taking part in a free webinar next week. So this is um, Uptick uh, putting on in conjunction with Singular and Addictive. And uh, th there's going to be a focus on the role of retention and how basically how to view and treat retention in your strategy in the post-IDFA, post-iOS 14.5 world. Um, and then from, from our end, we're going to just be sharing um, some more tactical stuff of just like ways we've been navigating in the interim with uh, some of these data changes. So um, yeah, that's going to be June 23rd, Wednesday at 10 a.m. PST, and it's totally free. Um, we'll put a link to it in the podcast notes. Awesome. Great. Cool. Our first section is mobile is industry insights, where we shed some light on what's going on in the mobile industry. First things first, uh, an article from VentureBeats, Vungle buys jet fuel for undisclosed price. So this is kind of interesting. It's their fourth acquisition in seven months after Tresensa, uh Game Refinery and Algolift. And this was, you know, they've had a wave of acquisitions after being acquired by BlackRock in 2016 for $750 million thereabouts. Um, and so they've really employed the strategy of gobbling up a bunch of different mobile uh, mobile tech providers in the space and sort of in, in an effort to expand outside of their historical network place. Um, and I think, you know, if you don't know what Jet Fuel is, Jet Fuel is an influencer marketing tool, which allows you to set up campaigns on, on a per influencer basis. And so basically the way that you, you could traditionally optimize ad networks, you're able to optimize influencers, which is a pretty interesting take on the space. Um, we've utilized Jet Fuel a little bit for a client and we found it's actually been pretty effective. Um, scale has been very minimal, but ROAS has been very good. Um, and, you know, generally I like this deal. I have thrown some shade of Vungo in the past talking about how their network doesn't seem to be as robust as some of the other, some of the core competitors. And so this seems like an obvious uh, acquisition for them to expand that network a bit. Um, yeah. So that's sort of the 10,000 foot take. Um, Arun, any thoughts here? Yeah. So, um, so let me, uh, let me just also preface, I spent the previous six years at Adjust um, growing, growing out the, the U.S. operations and then the previous four years at a mobile ad network, uh, Millennial Media. So I have a lot of experience kind of in, in the mobile space as well. Um, and I actually really like the, the move from Bungle. I think, um, you know, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later as well, but networks need to figure out um, different ways to kind of uh, you know, entice advertisers into, into spending with them other than just like the basic app install. And I think, you know, a lot of Bungle's moves and also like Digital Turbine has been doing kind of something similar, um, you know, consolidating when in the ad network space. I think a lot of it kind of goes back to Apple and the iOS 14 change. Um, and so it's kind of forcing networks to look at the industry in a different way. And then, you know, they're actually um, kind of expanding and becoming better in my opinion, which is, which is a good thing. Yeah, definitely yeah. agree. Uh, no, I, I really like this deal as well too. I feel like a, a lot of these deals we've 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 put a skeptical eye on. Um, but I think that Jet Fuel has has carved a unique niche for themselves. Um, anyone who's messed around with the influencer space knows that traditionally it's very hard to measure the the eff efficacy of that. Um, and Jet Fuel, as Andrew alluded to, it's a nice bridge. So like people that are approaching uh, influencer space from more a traditional like UA optimization and looking at CPIs and post install metrics, you can apply that more one to one with jet fuel strategy because the influencers are being compensated on a results uh, basis. So everyone is kind of incentivized to like efficiently bring in installs rather than just doing like a traditional like flat rate brand style media buy, which is how a lot of um, traditional influencers are are uh, op operate. And the thing that I really like about this is I don't think that Jet Fuel is, you know, a leader in sort of like the ad technology side of things. No, no shade to them. They've built something unique. But um, if they can bring unique first-party influence uh, inventory to Vungle, I think that's like a great, um, great benefit for both. It brings better bidding tech to Jet Fuel, and Vungle actually gets something unique because that's something that we're always looking at with these rewarded video networks. Is like they're all connected to the same apps, so you need a compelling reason to do business with with multiple and having unique inventory is a very compelling reason. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, 
I think Vungo's done a pretty incredible job of stitching together quite a battleship. And, you know, I was definitely skeptical that this would occur over the, over the last couple of years, um, but it really done a, a good job. There's quite a bit in that stack now. And now I just guess the question is, how well can they operate from here? You know, how do they execute on it? Yeah, and I think I mentioned him last week, but props to uh, Jeremy Bondi when he's taken over leadership there, just been a ton of moves. Um, and uh, there, Vungle needed to to rebuild and needed to reinvent itself, and it's definitely we'll we'll see how the story ends, but like definitely taking the steps to to reinvent itself. Absolutely. All right, Warren, you have um, a topic. Yeah, for sure. So this is just a more like high level uh, insights kind of report. Um, so uh, this is an article from VentureBeat. Um, there was a survey conducted by a market researcher IDC, uh, basically about changes in mobile gaming adoption after the post pandemic. Um, anyone who's operating a mobile game during, you know, pre, during and post COVID knows that the intense changes you saw in your metrics, mostly for the, the positive. Um, but uh, they did some survey on basically they're trying to suss out like which of these habits are going to stick. So what they found was about 75% of the pandemic driven increases in mobile games are going to persist indefinitely. Um, of the survey, 63% of the respondents said they played more games. And uh, yeah, again, they estimate about 75% of this that gonna, of that is going to retain. And another notable stat from this is about 6% of the mobile gaming, uh, the mobile gamers that are playing today did not exist prior to the pandemic. So basically what that boils down to is like, we're, we're seeing that we're going to hold on to the gains in user bases, or at least that's what we're predicted. I can say anecdotally, that's what we're seeing in our own data at Uptick as well. Um, and this is coming from two things. It's coming from, you know, retaining that some of that increase of people who start playing more and a portion of it is from bringing new people into the fold and making new mobile gamers during that during that time um xander what, what what are your thoughts on this do you do, in your own work do you see this trend kind of reflected do you do you think this is overestimating underestimating yeah um i mean we definitely see that there has been an increased engagement of users since COVID-19 and we're sort of watching how that bakes out as the world starts to open back up i think this um falls in line with an article I had referenced, I guess it must have been a month or two ago, which was Facebook's Gaming Insights Report. And they actually pointed out a very similar trend. And the trend was basically that they saw an adoption of net new gamers um, to the mobile space. The interesting thing I think you called out here as well is that these people were non-mobile gamers, but they were core gamers, people who had traditionally played on PC and console. And so what you're seeing is basically some amount of migration of the hardcore gamers that existed on PC and, mo and console moving to mobile phones, which is really, really exciting for the mobile ecosystem. These are the highest retaining, highest monetized users in gaming and gamers can be very, very passionate. And so this is ultimately, I think a really good positive thing for the mobile uh, gaming ecosystem overall. Arun, do you have any, any thoughts on, on these numbers? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's like, like Xander said, just to echo it, it's very positive for the mobile gaming uh, industry. And I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not surprised to be honest. I mean, you know, like once you get kind of hooked onto a game, you, there's really nothing that's going to stop you from from playing it. And if anything, you're just going to, especially now that's on your mobile device, you're just going to be playing it maybe in a different location um, as opposed to just just your home. So, um, you know, I think it's positive for for gaming companies out there and just and, you know um, being able to uh, again, it's like going to be now towards more innovation, right? We have more gamers playing, more gaming companies. Gaming companies also have to. Uh, dip, like make sure their their content is different to to um, to get users because there's more competition out there. So um, you know I think that's overall a positive positive thing. Um, in fact, uh, so the current company that I'm working for, Attribution App, it's it's web based attribution only. Um, but I have we have actually got some interest from mobile uh, mobile app developers who are looking to uh, you know expand into the web web based to to acquire more users on the website. And you know I don't know if that's the result of uh, your the article that you know we're talking about now or if it's a result of again ios 14 but i think it could also be a result of both which is which is good good things for all gaming companies yeah that's an interesting interesting uh, finding there uh, yeah i guess this just backs up the long-standing theory i've had that people want more robust experiences on gaming and people who are able to, or sorry on mobile and people who are able to deliver that are going to make a lot of money in the coming years agreed um okay one other uh, quick update um, I wanted to 
and just to talk about briefly, which is, which is that we've seen a pretty broad adoption of iOS 14.5 plus in the last week or so. And this is predominantly because Apple has pushed iOS 14.6 pretty aggressively. We're seeing as much as 50% of our user base and some of our clients have moved into iOS 14.6. What that means is this is ATT, these, these are the operating systems that strip IDFA by default. And so we're, we're moving more into the world where IDFA is going to be the minority, not the majority. And uh, we talked about this hacking stick curve occurring at some point in the last previous weeks. And now we're actually seeing that, ado that adoption really happening. Any thoughts from either of you? I'd, I'd love to like just cede my time to Arun here. So, you know, Arun made his transition from being at a mobile app MMP to, you know, a web-based MMP. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this before the podcast, but I, Arun, I just love your perspective of like the differences. Uh, I know you have obviously a lot of friends and colleagues still in the mobile app space, but the differences in how you both currently see and anticipate these changes affecting the realm you're working in uh, versus versus the mobile app space. Yeah, so I, I so I guess to, to start off, um, you know, iOS 14, iOS 14.5, there, it's not going to affect the web, the web-based attribution, um, desktop web-based attribution, uh, mobile web. Yes, it, it it probably will, but a lot of the the um, the companies that we work with specifically, uh, they're not they're not focused on mobile web. They're they're more focused on kind of what what your web um, marketing is doing. So, uh, from that perspective, I'm actually sort of thankful for 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 switching industries because um, you know we don't have to do, we don't have to deal with that. We do have to deal with things like. Uh, uh, you know, third-party cookies and how and how those are like how those are going to affect the web campaigns. Um, again, fortunately, uh, attribution app is a first-party cookie, so they won't get affected affected by that. But retargeting campaigns on web um, definitely will. Um, so, you know, from from that perspective, uh, it's actually you know a positive thing from from the from the web base, and there isn't much overlap um, when it comes to some of the differences between web and mobile, um, just in general. Uh, you know, like mobile or sorry, web doesn't have an IDFA. Um, everything is, is cookie-based tracking, first-party cookie-based tracking. So again, another reason why uh, iOS 14 isn't, isn't going to be affected or it doesn't affect uh, web. And then um, from an implementation um, perspective, uh, you know, web has a lot a lot more uh, different ways to, to, to implement your web tracking. So Again, with, with MMPs, you can do server to server, but most MMPs would require your SDK, uh, at least from when I was working at Adjust, um, that, that may have changed now. But um, you know, that, that, uh, that is a huge blocker in, in some cases. On web, you can actually implement using uh, just tracking snippet that you can input into Google Tag Manager, which will tag all of your web pages. Um, or you could actually integrate through um, partners like Shopify, BigCommerce, Salesforce, HubSpot, and I can get into that later. Um, so uh, yeah, partnership integrations are, are huge on that and um, partnership integrations are big on, on mobile as well, but not in terms of like implementation and get, getting set up. Right. Right. So we started sort of already bridging to our main topic. So let's just go ahead and, and jump right in. Um, Warren, do you want to introduce Ruin yeah. and then we can talk a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's a perfect segue to we're really excited to go deep with Arun today for for a few reasons. I mean, for a little background on on Arun, like I, I don't know if I've told you this, Arun, but you're actually like basically one of the first people I even met in the mobile uh, mobile app space. So like I came from uh, traditional uh, web marketing, and my first job an app developer, my first task there was basically find uh, an MMP for the game. Um, and so I reached out to Adjust as one of those companies, and uh, you know Arun was the person that I talked to there. As an early adjust employee, and this was like back in like 2014, I think. Um, and we've just stayed uh, friends uh, since then. Um, he's definitely someone I come to for advice. And in full disclosure, he is an advisor here for us at Uptick, and has helped us a lot uh, as we got our business started. Um, but yeah, we're excited to meet with Arun and learn more about his new uh, company. Um, he always brings a lot of unique insights. So yeah, Arun, you want to you want to tell folks a little bit more about just kind of your your journey and what you're doing now. Definitely, definitely, and um, yeah, Warren. I still remember we met at uh, some some small meetup in Seattle. There were like five people there, but thirty chairs. Pretty much how all mobile meetups were back in 2014 and 2015. Um, yeah, you were actually Warren, Warren. So this is a funny story. Warren, Warren actually um, did a pitch for me at that meetup when someone, another uh, client, had come to me and, or a prospect at the time and asked me about Adjust and some of the MMPs. And Warren just kind of stepped in and was like, "Okay, right, I'll just tell you about Adjust." And, from that point on, I was like, all right, Warren is a, a good, good friend to have in, in the industry. Um, so yeah, so anyways, back to kind of my story. Um, so yeah, as Warren said, um, 
you know, I started at Adjust in 2014. I was the first U.S. employee. Um, and then, um, you know, within three months, we grew to four, um, four, three other employees. And, and us four were, were pretty crucial in um, kind of Adjust U U.S. operations and growing so quickly. Um, you know, we had, we had a bit of uh, luck, I guess, with, um, you know, Addicts, uh, sunsetting, tune, tune getting kicked off of Facebook, but you know, tune still did a great job, you know, staying top, top, top of mind in a lot of marketers, and I always credit them for that. Um, but yeah, so worked my way up from kind of an individual contributor to a eventually VP of Sales for the Americas in, uh, in I think it was six years that I was there. Um, you know, grew the business quite a lot, quite a bit uh, up until about zero um, ARR in the U.S. to forty million ARR in the U.S. and you know, had a, I had a great team with me, um, great help, great account management. Um, yeah, Adjust is just an all-around great company. And, you know, I couldn't have been able to grow that revenue with, without them and their product. Um, and, you know, back in, in 2020, uh, my transition to, you know, I had just finished uh, graduate school. So I wanted to kind of had the itch to start my own company or at least work for a company from, from, from the C-level. And so that's when I joined Attribution App. And um, it is a complete... You know, it's, it's similar to adjust in the MMPs in, in multiple ways is that the main difference is that we just don't track mobile app installs. Um, but, you know, it is built uh, the same way that you would connect your Facebook accounts and connect your Google accounts. And we would uh, do all of your um, attribution for, for, for you. Um, our biggest competitor is Google Analytics, the, the free version, uh, the free tool. And so, yeah, that's kind of that's what I'm up to now. Um, and, you know, been been advising uptick from uh, from the beginning and, you know, Great to see what, what the company is doing and how successful you guys have been so far. Awesome. Yeah, quite a bit of background there. Um, okay, so just jumping, jumping right in, I guess the thing we want to start with is based on your you know knowledge of both spaces, what are some of the core differences between mobile and web attribution? And what are some of the unique challenges, challenges that each marketers face on each side of it? Yeah, so I, so I think I touched on the unique differences um, before, but just like basically the implementation is, is probably the biggest difference. Um, the core challenges, uh, so I think, you know, the biggest core challenges that uh, web and mobile marketers face is being able to, you know, view your attribution data holistically in one platform, in one attribution platform. Um, in my opinion, there is really no platform that's going to allow you to do that. Um, and for multiple reasons, right? Like if you're a business like Zynga versus a business like Hotel Tonight, your attribute, or I guess Airbnb now, your attribution logic and methodology and methodologies are going to be completely different, right? And, and how right. you would attribute um, positive users. So I think in that, in that respect, um, you know, being able to view attribution holistically is, is a challenge and probably the number one challenge for all, all marketers, in, in my opinion, and out there. And if it's not, I mean, it should be definitely a priority. Um, more on the website, because we, we deal a lot with B2B companies that are looking to attribute. On mobile, you don't really have companies like singular for example they're not you know they don't have a mobile app right so they're not doing any type of mobile um, attribution but on the web they are and so the complexity of a SaaS attribution model is extremely hard and that's something that um, we help b2b companies with as well um, but uh, it's it's you know it makes sense because uh, you know mobile apps are like all the revenue comes from mobile apps so that's why you want to attribute just th that revenue. But um, on web, there's multiple ways to get um, to get revenue. You can get it from the website. You can get it from the app itself. You can get it from the sales team. So, um, yeah, I think those are kind of the, the challenges that that both both marketers face. Okay, so you sort of um, referenced multi-touch attribution briefly there, or at least alluded to it. I'm a little curious about how we can talk about how B2B marketers think about attribution in, in that context. And this is one of the things when I worked at Singular and Demand Gen, we had a much, we had a lot of difficulty with how to, you know, accurately um, do multi-touch multi attribution. Is that something that your uh, customers are facing? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's top of mind for everyone. Um, there are five basic multi-touch models that, uh, you know, Google Analytics has that we have um, and which are like linear, first touch, time decay, position-based and, uh, uh, last touch, um, depending on the type of business you are, that's how you kind of figure out what your MTA models, but again, uh, MTA models should be. Um, but again, you know, you, most companies, if they want to build a custom attribution model, right? right. And, and that's, that's kind of the way to go. And I think the way of the future, um, and I'll probably be referencing that a lot because I'm a strong believer in it. Um, and, and on mobile, you know, multi-touch was something that advertisers were looking at, but at least up until 2020, when I was at Adjust, um, it wasn't something that, you know, 
was like a the topic of every conversation or every meeting. It was a nice to have more than a must have. And and in web, it's complete. It's the complete opposite. Right. Well, in mobile, we had the nice clean IDFA. We could get the last touch attribution really clean. That's probably part of the reason why. Yeah. So um, but but even you know, um, seeing multi touch across like different networks. Um, advertisers didn't, didn't really care for that. They just pretty much wanted to see the last touch and that was it. Arun, what are some of the differences that you actually find in the, the customer base between the two segments? I mean, just in just sort of like who, who are their customers, um, just expectations as far as like level of granularity, the kind of things that they're actually monitoring and, and optimizing to, what are some of the trends that you see are different between the two sectors? Yeah, so I think uh, the, the biggest trend that I noticed um, uh, making the transition was uh, in, in mobile, you don't have to sell attribution to anyone like the, 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 the thought of attribution or um, the art of attribution because everyone knew that. Be it just doesn't work. This, like but, like you, you, yeah. can't, you can't do it if you don't have attribution, right? Like Right, but, but um, you know, marketers knew that Look, the reason mobile uh, attribution started is because marketers knew that they were paying two times, three times for the same install, right? Okay. They, they knew that some companies were over-attributing versus others. In web, you, we don't, you don't actually see that a lot. You, we get a lot of people that come and talk to us and they say, why do I need attribution? And we have to say, well, you know, go look at your Google Analytics numbers. Like, does, anything, does everything make sense internally? And we kind of have to explain to them what the importance of, of, of attribution is. And so that was... The number one thing that shocked me when I made the transition, um, uh, in, in yeah, in, in moving in moving over. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I mean, part of it is I think uh, it's not necessarily it's not slight to the people in those industries. Like mobile's just a newer industry, so like we had better tech from the from the beginning of like the app market, like performance marketing for the app ecosystem. Whereas like there's these tried and true practices that have existed in web marketing, and I've seen um, some of the reports. Uh, from like web marketing agencies that I've seen even even still are reporting like performance reporting is talking about things like impressions and clicks and it's things that for like a, a mobile performance marketer you you would laugh at that and, and basically say like I can't measure my success based on this like these are not the KPIs that I'm monitoring but you know if that practice started you know 15 20 years ago and it's like that's that's how that business has been operating since then um, then you can understand like why certain habits and expectations are are established. Well, and also a lot of B2B businesses basically will build, will, you know, you'll, the performance marketers will report on leads, right? It's like a form conversion um, and maybe like qualify, they're qualifying the lead. Um, and then they just build their whole model basically from the, the lead down. So you can basically quantify the value of a lead. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing less of, and also they're, they're a lot less, a lot of these B2B businesses, not all of them are a lot less whale-based. So, you know, if you see a certain ch a channel for like it's a Facebook is driving all the thousand dollar users in Nap, whereas, you know, other channels aren't. Um, it just it's much more important to know that Facebook is driving those users, whereas there is a little bit, I guess, less difference in the value of a lead. I mean, there's obviously garbage leads, but um, yeah, I think I think the uh, part of the reason why web marketers are so um, they just use the lead as like a proxy for everything. A lot of web marketers, really. at least that's from my experience. I don't know, maybe ruin your marketers more sophisticated, lead or qualified. You know, lead. Yeah. So again, you know, comparing it back to mobile, um, you know, in mobile, the, there's like pretty much, you know, two ways to get leads in, in mobile, like in terms of app installs, right? It's, um, you know, maybe uh, using using company like Braze or Airable to send um, like retard, uh, to send like um, emails to, to, to remind the user to download an app or something like that. Or it's going out and going to Facebook or Google and saying, here's some money, please buy me some installs, right? Um, on, on web, uh, there's multiple ways, right? So there's like, again, if we go back to B2B example, um, there's companies have webinars. They wanna start to see the return of the webinar. Like, is it worth doing webinars, right? Is it worth producing this product content? How can we track how many people engage in this product content and then um, signed up to request a demo, you know? And so I think it's, uh, web marketers kind of view it differently. And it's actually been, it was, a little bit difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around like how web marketers run marketing campaigns and, and mobile app marketers run, run uh, campaigns just because there's so many different ways to capture a lead. And, um, you know, they're like, uh, again, B2B companies are investing in sales teams, right? How do we, how do we track that a sales email is the, is the reason for the conversion and not actually what the marketer did in terms of, you know, buying the, the, lead, the lead gen request. 
it's also just a more complicated life cycle, right? You have someone who inbounds for the first time. They don't necessarily convert to a, a six, a six, six figure ACV immediately. They got to go then watch all the webinars, you know, do whatever, talk to a salesperson. Was it the webinar or the salesperson who ultimately caused the conversion? So it's just a much more complicated uh, model to put together. Yep. Okay. Um, one of the things that we just touched on is B2B versus B2C. Uh, are you working, does attribution app work across both? And do you want to talk about a little bit about the difference uh, in B2B versus B2C? Yeah. So yeah, attribution app does work across both, um, you know, attribution app. So we work with a lot of companies that are built on Shopify. Uh, a lot of those companies, you know, they're um, five, 10 person companies kind of, you could think of it almost like an indie developer at that point where everyone is um, wearing multiple hats and you can actually implement attribution app through the Shopify store um, and then start, start tracking. Uh, the main difference is, um, you know, I always try to think of the best way to describe the difference between like D2C and B2B. And it's basically just like, what is the, what is the value of the conversion? Is it a $30,000 conversion or is it a $5? Like we have a company that sells nail polishes, right? It's like, is it a $5 bottle uh, like nail polish? Right. And so um, those are, those are some of the differences in terms of uh, D2C companies. It's really plug and play with B2B companies. It's more complex. So they have more questions. The deal cycles are a little bit longer there's more things to, to track and, and be aware of. Um, you know, one thing that um, I think uh, no attribution company just in general has done a good job of is, is figuring out how to attrib attribute influencer campaigns um, and, and, you know, take advantage of like YouTube influencers or just any, any type of influencers. Um, I think you could probably say affiliate tracking companies could do that, but again, it's, it's not the same. And I think once uh, a company knows how to integrate like influencer tracking and attribution into their platform, uh, it's really going to give them a, a step up above the, the rest of the competition. Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Okay. Um, I guess one other thing I wanted to mention there is like, we, we tried this at singular. We would basically, there was some tool we integrated into our Salesforce instance where we could basically see as we were serving ads against specific accounts, even if they didn't, convert I guess it's not quite influencer but we always how we were we were looking at like how can you market how can you measure the influence of marketing even even without the conversion I guess that's a little bit different than what you're describing but I mean if you could also map the influencer data against accounts and then walk look at the ratio of conversion that's something that we would like you know can is does running an influencer marketing campaign then against an account do you then see an increased uh, conversion rate against an account that doesn't see the same influencers does it make any sense? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm, so what I, yeah, when I was talking about influencers, I was referring to like D 2 C type of influencers, um, mm -hmm. not, not B2B. And so, um, I think it might be a, a little bit different in terms of like D 2 C they don't, they don't focus on account-based attribution. Um, they're just looking at, you know, user by user attribution. Um, whereas B2B companies, they tend to focus on, uh, like, you know, let's say my prospect is Amazon, right? They don't really care about which Amazon email address is, is requesting a demo. They just want right. to see what the attribution of that Amazon company as a whole is doing. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I guess next question, we talked a little bit about, I guess we, you touched about this a little bit at the beginning, um, but I am curious about if you have any other thoughts here um, around just the evolution of mobile attribution, specifically iOS 14.5 plus and Google's LAT or LAT stand-in. Um, and sort of what are your thoughts there? And then how does this compare to the cookie list web that we expect to see in the future on the website as well? Yeah, so so I'll start with the cookie list web. Um, again, it's it's third-party cookies that are disappearing, not not first-party. I mean, first-party cookies, we'll, we'll see. Um, but again, the companies decide to implement first-party cookies. It's not something that's invasive to the, to the user or anything like that. Um, the user is sharing their details with, like, on that website. Like, for example, when you request a demo, you're putting in your details to request a demo. Um, so yeah, it's just, so on the website, it's um, that's yeah. Third-party cookies will just stop retargeting. Um, on the mobile side, I mean, you know, initially I thought uh, I thought it was going to be a huge blow to. Um, to the MMPs and, and I think the MMPs have done a good job in terms of figuring out how to still stay relevant and not, not lose clients. Um, you know, at least in the, in the short, in the near, in the like short term right now, who knows what it'll be like in, in two to three years, but um, you know, MMPs do a good job or just tech companies do a good job of evolving. Um, you know, the UDID was deprecated. So they switched to the IDFA. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to get any heat for saying this, but like probabilistic matching seems to be doing okay um, amongst advertisers and MMPs. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, what, um, what 
what's really going to happen is that uh, the walled gardens might need to figure out a, a new way to, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but maybe stay competitive with, with some of the networks out there, um, you know, that, that aren't, aren't walled gardens. And so, yeah, I think by, by Apple doing this, it kind of, it kind of reminds me back to, um, 2014 before um, like mobile attribution was was invented it's like all the networks are going to be on a, on a level playing field now so um, you know I think that's once advertised kind of figure out and, and are all comfortable with how they're tracking and, and everything starts to make sense I think they'll actually like it in the future because um, you know the they're not going to be kind of you know I can only spend my money on Google or I can only spend my money on Facebook, but they can actually test out um, other networks. But uh, I would be curious to, to hear your, your thoughts and, and Warren's thoughts, you know, um, seeing what, what, like how the, how the landscape is from the, from the growth side of the business as well. Yeah. I mean, I think you sort of touched on it right now. We're still using fingerprinting mostly. Um, and that, you know, yeah, um, you mean uh, probabilistic. Oh, excuse me. Probabilistic yeah. attribution. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, the reality is it works really, really well, right? It has, or it has been so far. So, uh, you know, and we talked about this, if you've listened to, if anyone listens to the last several podcasts, I mean, we think Apple will make it its job to kill fingerprinting at some point, right? The, the tech's not there yet, but they're very clearly innovating on tech. So they're going to, they're going to eventually make it so you, you can't fingerprint. And I think that the people who are going to be adapt are going to be, they're going to have to adapt to scan future at some point. Um, but it's not now. <laughs> right now, I think we're actually getting most of you know the value by ignoring the way that Apple wants us to behave. Yeah, and, and one thing I want to clarify is, you know, ultimately as marketers, we're using the best, most accurate data that the MMPs can provide for us. We are not the MMP, so you know, we're looking at two sets of data right now. One is basically this probabilistic model, uh, and the other is the SK Ad Network model. And the SK Ad Network data is still highly unusable, so we're still in a transitionary period for I think at least you know a couple weeks to a couple months maybe, where that that probabilistic data may still be more accurate for making. Uh, marketing decisions in certain channels. Well, and there's the issue with like the double opt-in on uh, IDFA for scan. I mean, like, yeah, it, it's, it's quite, there's quite a mess on the mobile side. Uh, we'll see. It's a whole different thing. For sure. We could go deep in the weeds. Yeah. Um, Arun, one, one area I'd love to explore with you, what, what is the right approach these days for marketers that have um, products that, that have both a app and a web component, and they're looking at user value across uh, those two components could come in through web and go to mobile, vice versa. Um, is that something where attribution app is a holistic solution? Is that something where they should have a, a mobile MMP plus attribution app? What what do you see as kind of best practice in that realm? Yeah, so um, that's kind of what I call the holy grail. Um, you know, uh, it's yeah. There's no there's no company that I know of um, uh, that can can do it. I think there might be you know attribution companies that might be able to claim that they can do it. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, the best way to do that is use a web MMP and then use a mobile MMP um, and, and honestly send all the attribution data. You, you need a data scientist team or, or, or at least a marketer that has, that has the, the know-how of using um, tools like Segment, um, Fivetran or like other ETL tools, um, Looker, Tableau, like BI tools, um, because you can test out all the different platforms and, you know, you may be able to find one, but at the end of the day, like you want, as a marketer, you want a custom attribution model because every, your business is different. Um, you, you have different goals, different KPIs, um, and you want to be able to, 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 to build those attribution models yourself. And then, um, you know, uh, take action on that. Like I, I've spoken to many companies who, uh, they do lead qualification, um, in their own BI. And then based on the lead qualification, they, send leads to different sales reps within the company so they can kind of go out and target them. And I mean, again, you know, that's B2B, but I think that like, that's, that's, that's awesome. If that, if that, if you could do that, you know, you're not wasting time on vendors to try and stitch those together. You're, you have this someone internally that can kind of build that out. So yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but in my opinion, like that's kind of how I would approach it. Yeah, I guess maybe just to yeah. press on, on one point of that, um, I know that over the last few years, there's a couple of the mobile MMPs that have started to say that they offer, you know, partial or or uh, holistic solutions for cross-platform web and, and mobile. I'm curious if you've actually talked, in, if some of your customer base has actually tried some of those and found them subpar, or if they just haven't, if if they just haven't been very explored yet. <sighs> Right. Uh, it seems like adoption has been relatively light in that segment. So I don't personally have a ton of insights there as much as I would want. Yeah. So 
adoption has been relatively light ever since you know I, I was uh, started in the MMP space and also when I left the MMP space. Um, you know, a branch branch to be honest, branch was leading the way in my opinion in terms of like uh, web to mobile attribution. Um, and when I say leading the way, I, I mean uh, creating the most noise around around the the, the topic, um, being a thought leader in the topic. But I never saw it work specifically, so I, I can't say. But that's what I mean by kind of leading the way. Um, and you know, for example, um, we would go up against uh, like a lot of the pitches we had. We would, you know, a lot of the competitor or the prospects would ask us like, "How do you compare to branch web attribution?" Right. Um, but you know, in to my in my opinion, it's still it's still you know not a. I think the MMP still haven't figured out how to do web attribution. Um, if they have, uh, you know, it's not it's not been a viable solution for the marketer, and so the marketer chooses not to not to leverage it. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, everyone that I spoke to in the MMP space on the marketer side, uh, they all kind of had questions around um, you know web attribution, web SDKs, and and how that works, and uh, you know, I've had a couple of uh, you know companies that have reached out to me that use MMPs and I know have a web attribution solution because all of them actually kind of tell them, say that they do. And um, they're still asking about the web, web attribution, right? So I think in, in my opinion, there's something that is just like, I don't know what it is. And, and there's something that just doesn't allow um, kind of mobile and, and web to kind of talk to each other and they're under the same company. And I, and I just, yeah, I, I don't know what that is. I wish I had a better answer for you. Well, I wonder if it's a kind of a leadership and vision thing, because um, what we see is that like solutions tend to be built for one and then maybe dip their toe in, in the other. You know, we, we work with a lot of mobile developers and um, no one in our portfolio, none of my colleagues are really using branch for like mobile first these days, even though um, uh, ostensibly they're, they're cross-platform. And I'll admit it's one of the platforms I have less experience with. But um, similarly um, for uh, like, I know singular uh, positions that they uh, can do cross-platform now, um, because they came from a mobile first background, you know, it may be built more from that lens and also just may have less exposure to that, that market. So maybe that maybe the opportunity is like, you know, something eventually being born uh, with a cross-platform vision in mind and leadership from both backgrounds. Um, to, to kind of build it with that goal in mind rather than building it for one solution, trying to port it to the other. I think the challenge here is like understanding what attribution is supposed to be accomplishing, right? And most of these businesses have revenue that's being driven by either a web product or an offline product or a mobile product. But very few of these businesses have multiple different, are you monetizing across many of those segments? So for instance, like if you're Experian, let's say for, as an example, you have a product that you're selling, but in that case, the web, the mobile product is not necessarily, I guess it's a shared example, because in that case, they actually, you can monetize through the, they're doing, that, that's an example where you actually, the web and mobile product are basically the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. But you can think of different companies where, you know, uh, I mean, like, I don't know, like, does Tesla have an app born? Yeah, but uh, right, exactly. yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good example. That's a, that's Very a little good, commerce would happen. Right. From There's, yeah. the, the Tesla app is a utility that bolts onto another product. It's not the core product itself. And so I think that that's why the, where the difficulty comes is because in only a few of these cases are you seeing that both there's major revenue drivers from both the web product or offline product and mobile product. Right. No one, no one is downloading the Tesla app and playing with it and then being like, this is cool. I guess I'll buy a car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it all comes back to you know the the revenue generator at the end of the day, right? Whether it's worth marketers investing their time to, to figure that out. And from your perspective, like uh, I think maybe the MMP see that, so that that's why they don't do it. But I think you know um, this is a good chance for uh, MMPs to kind of like figure out how they want to differentiate um, across uh, amongst each other, especially with you know with iOS fourteen point five. But um, you know I, I have some notes on like what I kind of how I would like to see an evolution of, of, of those companies, but I think. This is one of them, maybe um, figure out a way to, to connect mobile and web to, to be that holy grail. Uh, another one that, that I've seen a lot um, and I've kind of heard of a lot is like, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to show data, but if marketers can't make sense of the data, like an entry-level marketer, they log into an MMP, they may not be able to right away tell that like, oh, I should be spending money here or, or here. Um, if MMPs um, could like show those insights and provide those insights in a, in a clear way uh, is, is something that I think they, they should get into. Like maybe, maybe predictive, um, like predictive uh, buying. Um, and I know that a lot of it depends on the volume from the network. And I understand that part, but, you know, 
there's smart people working at these companies, right? There's got to be a way to, to, to help marketers and make a marketer's job easier um, it, by providing them those like clear cut insights, like, hey, you know, stop spending here, spend here, change your bids here, um, things like that. And so, yeah, I think, um, I know I kind of hijacked the conversation to, to take it over there, but um, that's, that's, yeah, that's what I would like to see from the MMPs. No, that's that's a good segue. I mean, for for our last question, kind of in in this deep dive with you, I mean, you've spent a lot of time in both of these segments now. Just kind of get some general predictions from you of how you see both um, app based and web based attribution. Where, where's it going to go from here? Like, how do you see the next big evolutions for for each? Yeah, so I think um, you know one of them I just touched on is providing insights. Uh, another one is being able to track influencer performance and, and attribute it. Um, I think that's gonna be huge uh, because we, I mean, we all know influencers are, are, are a gigantic piece of, a piece of the marketing um, puzzle. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I would take, those are the, those are the top, two, top two ways that I see uh, uh, um, attribution kind of expanding. I, am, I don't think that they're gonna be, you know, I don't think they'll consolidate um, I, I don't think that's that's the move. Um, so I think it's more just you know being able to branch out of, you know, we are just an MMP to you know we are a full fledged analytics platform that also does attribution. Um, yeah. I think you know attribution is heavily commoditized, so that's not kind of the the, the entrance, um, especially on the mobile side. Like that's not the, the entrance that you want you want to take, and that's why I believe like providing insights is going to be huge to that. Well, that's sort of what's happening now. I mean, like, you know, Singular is trying to be this, you know, marketing analytics platform or whatever, where the attribution is a piece of it, but they're really, they're focused on the analytics. Um, you know, adjust is like a piece of a gaming pie. So that's like a whole different place altogether. Uh, I mean, AppFlyer is just sort of sitting pretty because they're the, the incumbent, but they're going to need to innovate. Otherwise, they're eventually going to get eaten. And Branch has their deep linking and other products. So, I mean, you can see that a lot of companies are already headed that way. Go Java. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> Anyway, um, any final thoughts here, Warren? Or, or in? Well, yeah, I mean, just just on that point, for one thing that I think is still the greenest pasture for me for how these platforms evolve is just going beyond um, beyond insights to being able to action directly from from the platforms. Um, and we've seen some efforts here, obviously, like with with Adjust um, during Arun's time there, they they acquired a company called Acquired.io, uh, which you know allowed for types of of marketing automation and folded that into the platform. I think it's still, um, you know, still there's work to be done there before that can be like highly adopted and usable by a lot of the industry. But I'm just shocked at how little we've seen the MMPs. Like they've, you know, they're already working with the APIs of these networks. Like, you know, let us action directly from your platform. You know, we're in there. We're looking at the data. Let us make our moves from from there. It seems uh, easier said than done, but that to me is still like the ripest area. Cool. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, just one more point on that. I think it's just, it's maybe hard for the MMPs. It's kind of a conflict of interest to, to control bids from the platform. At least that was um, some of the the, the, the like insight that I got um, while I was in the MMP space. But um, yeah, I agree. I mean, again, it just goes back to the market, making marketers' lives a lot easier and controlling bids from, from the MMP itself would, yeah, it's a, another, another, you know, interesting and, and amazing way that they could go. Interesting. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our discussion for our main discussion for this week. Um, our next section is app of the week. Arun, do you have an app this week? Yeah, I do. Um, this app called Future. It's a, it's a, it's a personal trainer app, um, and basically, uh, it's you get your own personal trainer. It's a, it's a real person, and um, they work with you uh, to create different exercises that you can do on a, you know, weekly, daily basis. Um, they look at all the equipment you have in your house, and then they just kind of put those together. They give you a video of how to do the workout, uh, how many reps to do everything. So that's been a, that's been a huge, huge app of mine. Spotify is still the number one used app on my phone, though. Spotify is a good one. Yeah. Um, all right, so are, are you are you tracking performance over time and stuff, or is this like how? Talk us a little bit about more about what it actually does. Yeah, so um, you 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 track your performance on your own, uh, but the the trainer will like you can you literally have video calls with them once a week if you want. Um, you can chat with them. You can send them your form. To, they can tell you how to improve, and then they'll um, you know if you're if you're doing fine, they'll tell you to increase the weight, um, decrease the weight. Uh, and yeah, they're, I mean, the trainer I have is, is awesome. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how you do it. Um, cool. that makes sense, yeah. really nothing more to it. Yeah. yeah that, make... that, that was one of my questions. So you're, you're always, you have like your trainer and you're always working with your same trainer through that. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's a real person. I mean, my trainer's name is Morton. He used to like train the Sacramento Kings, and so um, they have actual trainers on there. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't think I will. To be honest, I don't know if I'll ever. It's a lot cheaper than actually having a personal trainer in person. You know, so um, yeah, I think they hit a really good niche in the market with that. How do they how do they monetize? You pay. um, You pay. uh, I I pay one fifty a month, but I think they have different price ranges for it. Interesting. Yeah, subscription based basically. Yeah, and this is a newer app, right? Yeah, it's pretty new. I think yeah. uh, maybe within two years, three years max. No, I'm just a friend of mine who's a personal trainer. Um, he, you know, a couple of years back, he's like, text me. He's like, Warren, I want to make an app. How do I make an app? <laughs> and I, I helped him like do some market research. And um, we were basically looking to see like, this is very close to like the idea that we, we talked through. Um, but it, we didn't see like this specifically exist yet, but this, it seems like a really, um, well done execution of something that I think there's an obvious place for in the market. I think, you know, coming out of COVID, a lot of people are like, wait, do I really want to go back to the gym? Um, but, uh, yeah. there's a lot of value in getting good personal training. Um, and yeah, this seems cool. Yeah. They, they send you, uh, an Apple watch as well when you sign up so you can like track your calories and things like that. I don't know. I, I, I was always into to working out, but when COVID hit, um, I like it basically just went into hyperdrive. So, wait, you get I, I like you get like app. a you get like a free Apple Watch. Yeah, you get a free Apple Watch. Free Apple then, Watch um, for the cost of one hundred fifty dollars a month. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not free. Like you know, if you stop using the app, I'm sure you have to give it back. But essentially, it's you know, it's yours. Uh, and yeah, and then that's how the that's how the trainer can keep track like when you're training as well, and then they can see your heart rate and your calories and everything. Nice. That's a really good incentive. Yeah. Xander, you got an app this week? Yeah, my app this week is kind of stupid, um, but I think it is It's an interesting... It, I don't know. It, it's not super exciting. So my app this week is Lemonade, which is an insurance company app. And so I realized like last weekend I didn't have renter's insurance. And I was like, I kind of have a lot of shit in my house now. Maybe I want renter's insurance. And so I went online, bought renter's insurance, started and downloaded Lemonade. And the app's pretty cool. It just makes it really, really simple and easy to, you know, file claims with a company with with your insurance company which is obviously one of like the most painful and you terrible things to do ever um and so i've only played around a little bit i haven't filed a claim yet but i think that it's just one of those things where it gives you direct line of communication direct to people you need to talk to when you need to talk to them and it's like the thing that an app should be and also this is a pretty good example of the thing i was describing earlier which is the app is not <laughs> the core of the business it's a utility on top yeah. of it so and here's another example i guess yeah no questions. Uh, I have lemon. Boring, boring I have lemonade, lemonade as well. Uh, and I filed a claim like the other day. It works perfectly. Great. See, that's what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this is interesting. I was I was actually you know I was researching lemonade for for amount of time both for insurance quotes but also for potential investing. Um, and I, I I listened to a few interviews with the the founders. Um, I really like the vision of lemonade, which is just basically take an aspect of our lives that's really boring, and we just kind of do begrudgingly and try to make it as simple and as fun as possible. Um, just the, I guess the the innovative thing is trying to make people love their insurance company rather than treating it as a pure commodity. Also um, hating and, them in many cases, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And they also are making a specific play of like getting the next generation, you know, people that like, you know, are, are you know, just getting their first insurance product. They have no brand loyalty to Geico. And if they have a positive, their, their philosophy is like, you know, if they acquire someone, you know, when they're 19, 20, 20 years old um, and they give them positive experience, basically that's amazing long-term ROI because uh, people need a pretty compelling reason to leave their insurance provider. Um, so if you can make it a more appealing product, focus on capturing that next generation, positioning yourself in a way that's different from your competitors. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a great company um, and definitely carving its own uh, niche in the space. Well, so just in terms of long-term ROI, like I have Geico for my car insurance and I was like, I looked to get a quote and for renter's insurance and it was really expensive. And I was like, well, screw that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, if you can upsell insurance, like the long-term ROI of these customers is insane, right? right? If you're getting someone who has renter's insurance and house insurance and then life insurance and like whatever else, you know, they can be spending a lot on UA. So, anyway. Yeah. I mean, for like 99% of customers, literally the only cost is just acquiring that, that customer, you know? It's, it's such a small minority that are getting actual payouts. And then when you have a family and kids, like your family and your kids go on the same insurance that you are, right? And so, yeah, it's even more in terms of uh, what they can spend on uh, acquisition. That's a good point. Cool, Warren. Um, you Do you have an app this week? 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, my app this week, it's it's an app slash ecosystem, but you you manage it all from from an app. So this is a thing called Helium. And, uh, you know, we, we almost got through an episode without touching on something like blockchain related. So I've got to squeeze that in. So um, this is the thing I've been tinkering around with uh, recently. So Helium is basically like decentralized, um, it's called LongFi internet. And it's basically, you get these boxes that essentially share like a tiny slice of your internet and broadcast that through radio waves. And it provides um, essentially like a mesh internet for IoT devices. So these would be things like the example I always give is like in I, I live in Berkeley and they're they're like beta testing this little like food delivery robot that that will like you know come to your apartment and give bring you food. So that would be an example of like something that needs to like uh, license you know like like basically internet. Uh, it's it it needs some sort of internet spectrum that it can use while it's uh, building out its route. So this is still pretty early. And basically the way this works is you get one of these boxes, costs a couple hundred bucks. You like, you know, put it in your room or put an, you can put it outside if you want. And you, you slice off a little bit of your internet and it's basically like um, a decentralized internet where everyone who provides some gets part of the fees generated from it. So you put this little box in your house, you manage it from your app, um, and you try to place it in a way where like you're helping flesh out the network where you're not, not right next to a, like, another hub. Um, but it's pretty cool. And it's, um, it's kind of janky right now. It's so pretty early, but like, you know, you can get a couple bucks a day to like, I think my best week so far, I made like $200 off of just having this little box in my house and you manage it all from the app. So it'll tell you if there's like an issue with your box or um, you can like research the network and like where, you know, where's the best placement. So it's a fun little economy. Um, I'm super, I've gone super deep into like decentralized economies lately. And uh, it's a cool thing to research. Um, you can use the app to also just kind of see if it's worth investing in your area. Like if there's, if there's any coverage or if there, if there, if you have a neighbor that already has a box, you shouldn't get one because it's not going to add any value to the the network. But uh, yeah, gone really deep on that. But um, it's definitely like a very unique thing uh, to check out. Yeah, I've been somewhat of a grandpa as it's come to blockchain. And I've always been like, well, what's the point? I never see, you know, like they don't, they don't do anything. What's the point? And I think this is the first time I was like, oh, it, it does something. <laughs> it's giving people internet. It's useful. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I'm not super educated around here. I'm trying to get more educated on blockchain because it's clearly something that's going to have a impact, big impact on our future. But I know when you when explained this to me, I was like, oh, that actually makes sense for the first time, really. Rune, are you familiar with Helium or, or any other sort of apps in this kind of ecosystem or like decentralized services? I'm not, I'm not, but um, I mean, isn't this what Amazon, uh, the news about Amazon and like Ring, is that the same thing? Like uh, they're basically trying to decentralize the internet across all of the Ring devices, right? Or the Amazon devices. Well, the yeah, difference exactly. is they own yeah. it, right? And so right. this yeah, is decent, actually it. decentralized, which is there, that is just centralized. <laughs> it's just all, yeah. you know, I guess like the, the distribution is decentralized, but it's all Amazon. And this is more and all thousand, hundred thousand people doing it, you know? Yeah, but that's a good analogy, Arun. Yeah, because you know, with Amazon, it's just sort of like, hey, surprise, we're gonna you know slice off a little bit of your internet and and make more money off of it, um, you know, with, with, without your acknowledgement uh, in most cases. Yeah, super yeah. sketchy. Um, super Amazon. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely sketchy. But I'm gonna check out Helium actually after after this is done for sure. Cool. Well, that's app of the week, uh, Arun. If someone wants to get a hold of you or check out Attribution App, where can they do that? Uh, you could just message me on LinkedIn um, or you can send me an email. It's my first name, Arun at uh, attributionapp.com. Sweet. Warren, do you want to take us out? Yeah. So thanks everyone so much for joining again. Arun, really great to have you on. I've been trying to get this one going for a while. Um, definitely connect with Arun if, if uh, Attribution App sounds like it could help you. He's super down to earth guy and will never try to like push something on someone that they don't need. That's one thing I've always liked about working with him. Um, and yeah, just a reminder, uh, Uptick has our webinar with Singular and Addictive um, next week, June 23rd, 10 a.m. PST. We'll link to that in the blog. And as always, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Uptick. Um, so we, you know, we provide growth services and tools for scaling mobile apps. We basically help with any part of the puzzle that developers are struggling with from ASO to creative to UA. So if you need help with that stuff, we're always happy to talk. You can reach us on uptick.com. That's U-P-P-T-I-C.com. Awesome. Talk soon.